If you would take your Bibles and open up to the book of Job this morning. The book of Job. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in front of you. And uh, Job chapter 1 is going to be on page 714 in those Bibles. So if you grab one of those, there's a shortcut for you. Job chapter 1. Now, how many of you, if I stand up here and hold this up, know what this is? A few, a few hands, okay? It's, it's, more, it's more than just a map, because I can hang a map in my office that just shows kind of the world. This is a lot more detailed than a map, just a plain map, okay? And... Uh, I'm just curious, I might be depressed by this, but how many of you have no idea what this is? Hey, there's no hands that went up. That's a good thing. Okay. All right. So, most of us, it's the real question would be, how many of you actually still keep one of these in your car? Ooh, quite a few of you. All right, you are the people that I want to make sure I travel with. So, long, long before technology... And GPS, you carried a road atlas. And you can open it up and have the whole, the whole of the United States of America, or you can, you can go to an individual state, and it gives you every exit, every roadway, every direction. And if you ever planned a road trip with one of these, you might sit down and actually take a pencil and map out the exact route that you were going to take. And if you, if you knew you were going to take stops along the way or, or shift a little bit here, then you, you'd pencil that in and you could, you could look at your whole trip. Now we kind of blindly just plug into our GPS and say, okay, I'm going to follow this piece of hardware on my dash. And uh, many of us have probably experienced times when it led us astray. And that's not fun. Uh, and if you, if you ever, I think one of the... Uh, one of the most intense times, if you ever really want to get excited, is if you were the passenger and the driver missed the exit. Because now everything is off. Everything is going, we're going the wrong way. And the driver's going, where are we? Where do we get off? Where do we go next? And so you're sitting there as fast as you can trying to figure out where, where am I now? And how can I possibly get the driver back to where they need to be? Now, how many of you have experienced being the passenger in one of those circumstances? Yeah, I have. I have. I have. And the reality is, the reason I bring this up, the reason I use this as an illustration this morning, is because being used to having directions planned out, having a set course that we're taking, we're so accustomed to that, whether it be GPS or a map, whatever it may be, we become accustomed of, to being in control of where I am and where I'm going. Have you ever been in a situation where you realized you really didn't know where you were or where you were going? Where everything you had mapped out seemed to be crumbling underneath of you? Maybe it's a sudden change, a sudden shift in course that you weren't expecting. Or maybe, maybe 
you just hit a spot in your life where you feel stuck. I just can't move forward. I'm stuck in the same place on the map. Maybe it's an unexpected stop in the midst of your course and you're trying to get back on where you want to be. Whatever it may be, in those moments, we struggle to move forward. We struggle to move past where we are today and get to where we want to be in our own minds, where my goals are, where I've set the course. This is where I pictured myself, and I'm not there. Today, we're going to look at a story of a man who started off really well. And gradually, over time, some circumstances happened to him, and he lost sight not only of where he was, but really of who he was in relation to who God is. And so if you walk away this morning with nothing else, this is what I want you to walk away with. When storms of life come, confidence comes in who you know, not what you know. When storms of life come, confidence comes in who you know, not what you know. Now, to give you a little background on this character, we're going to be studying this man named Job. J-O-B. And don't ask me why it sounds like Job. That's just how it was pronounced in that day and age. It's Job. All right? And the reality is, Job, as we see in verse 1 of chapter 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And we see this even emphasized more if you were to go back sometime in your own personal study to Genesis chapter 22, you see us mentioned. Now, a lot of people question, okay, when does Job take place? Historically, when does this fit into the narrative of Scripture as we know it? And there's some debate about this, but realistically, based on several references throughout the book of Job itself, references to the flood and certain practices that we see throughout, you can place Job in the patriarchal period, somewhere between the great flood in Genesis to Moses, somewhere in between. So, realistically, if you want to read your Bible chronologically, put Job somewhere in the middle of Genesis, and you'll have the time period pretty close. Now, the real focus this morning, though, needs to be on Job as a person. Who is this guy? What's his character? What do we know about him? And glance back at verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Job was a man blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now that paints a pretty good picture of who Job is, both in character and in social status. So you can imagine Job being this guy as everyone saw him, and being upright with God, he's in pretty good shape. If you were to see Job today, you might say, he's got it going on. He's got it figured out. 
I want to be like Job. And yet, in the midst of this, tension begins. Tension begins and unfolds right before our eyes. If we glance down at verse, verse, chapter, verse 9 in chapter 1, it says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, some of you might be able to resonate with this personally. You feel like in your life, everything around you, everything close to you, everything that you possess is being attacked in some way or another. And in this case, Satan is convinced. Job is upright. Yeah, he's a good guy, but God, that's, that's only because of everything that you've given to him. It's because of everything he has. Why would he have any reason to question you? Why would he have any reason to question who you are and how good you are? Look at everything you've given to him. And so in a moment, God says, okay, test him. See what happens. All at once, everything close to Job is taken away or destroyed. His livestock was taken or killed. His children were killed in a windstorm. Many of his servants were lost. Over and over again, his servants kept coming to him and saying, This happened and only I escaped to come tell you. Now, if we're to put ourselves in Job's shoes in the midst of that circumstance, a realistic question might be, What would my response be? How would I respond? And maybe some of you today have had circumstances like that. And yet, in verse 20 of chapter 1, look at this. It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So far, Job's character is standing pretty good. And if we look at this and answer honestly, many of us might struggle with the same kind of response. Now, the story's not done. It continues to unfold. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his own life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. You're not allowed to kill him. So Satan goes, and Job is infected with these awful boils all over his skin. Miserable. His flesh now. Now he's, he's lost all of his material possessions. Now his body is failing him. Surely this will be the breaking point. 
His own wife comes to him in verse 9 of chapter 2 and says, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, that's quite a statement. Because his wife is telling him, It would be better for you to die at this point than to continue to keep your integrity before God. Just curse him. Just give it up. Stop holding on. And Job still holds fast. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, Job's attitude thus far has been pretty good. He's maintained his character. Unfortunately, as the days linger on, Job's attitude starts to shift. He's surrounded by friends who, if you ever read through the entirety of the book of Job, give horrible counsel. And he becomes self-focused. Now, as we think about that practically, how often, when things happen in our lives... Do we first stop and just look at me? It's all about me. It's about what I don't have. It's about what hurts me. And we become righteous in our own eyes. If you flip over now, clear to chapter 32... Job chapter 32, just give you a summary of this story, and then we're going to focus in this morning on one particular verse. Job 32, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 there says, so these three men, Job's three friends, ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, the son of Barakal, the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. Doesn't this sound familiar? God, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve all this stuff that's happening to me right now. God, I've done everything that you've asked. Why am I being treated this way? God, you're supposed to work everything for good. Why doesn't this seem good to me? How can you possibly use this, God? How can you possibly use this in my life? Maybe some of those phrases sound familiar to you. And even if maybe we haven't spoken them directly, we've thought it. We've thought about it when everything's falling apart. Maybe you lost a job and you didn't know what was going to happen next. Maybe you lost a loved one. 
and you think, how could God allow this to happen? Maybe you've been ill with life-changing, life-changing illness. You're going, why me? What have I done to deserve this? And in those statements, in those thoughts, in that moment, we are following exactly in Job's footsteps. God, I haven't done anything wrong. And if I have, you know, it, it, it might deserve a slap on the wrist, but surely not this. Simply put, simply put, God, surely you've missed a turn somewhere. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I can, I can map a new route and it's going to be okay. You know, it's okay, God, let me deal with it. Let me handle it. I got this. And then more stuff starts to happen. Well, you know what? It's because I'm sitting here with my pencil going, okay, if we turn right up here and take that. No, it was that exit. And God's going, no, no, no. I've got this plan. I've got this planned out. And that's what we see all of a sudden. If you flip now to chapter 38, we see God speak. Very pointedly, very directly. And I want you to picture this conversation just like if you're on a road trip, you're on a road trip with God, and He's driving, you're in the passenger seat, and you are having a time because you're trying to control this road trip. How many of you are backseat drivers? Oh, there's a few honest people. I know more of you are that way than not. I tend to be that way. You could ask my wife about that. We like to be in control. And God answers Job here in several very pointed questions. And I'm just going to highlight a few of them. I would encourage you to read from chapter 38 on this week if you didn't do so earlier. Here's just a few in verse 4 of chapter 38, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. In verse 12 of 38, he says, Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? Verse 18, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know this. Verse 22 and 23, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? Now, if there's one thing that would make you feel really small, it's God reminding us, just as he reminded Job, look around you. Look around. Do you comprehend the same as what God does? 
can we see the other side of the road map? Or are we trying to plan this out with the little dot that we see right now? Job responds to all of this finally in chapter 42, verse 2. And this is where we're going we're gonna to sit for a minute. 42, verse 2. This is really what I want us to focus on today. And it takes God getting through all of this and asking these questions and bringing him to a place where he says, Oh my goodness, what have I done to declare myself righteous before a holy God? In verse 2, Job answers and says to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. When storms of life come, confidence comes in who I know, not what I know. Do you know that this is the God of the universe who's saying, look, look around. Look at who I am. I've revealed myself all around you. I've revealed myself in you. Can we state this as Job finally sees? I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So practically, what does this look like according to this passage, this verse, 42.2? I want to give you two things. Two phrases, here's what this is, two phrases that I need to tell myself when I feel that I'm losing control. Okay? When I feel like I am losing control of everything around me, these are two phrases I need to remind myself from Job 42.2. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, what does that mean? Because sovereign is kind of a big word. And we might throw it around a lot in church setting, but realistically, what is that? What does it mean for God to be sovereign. And I just want to read to you several psalms. And you can jot these down if you're taking notes. Just listen to these. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 97 verse 9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And maybe even a passage we might quote often from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before... I formed you in the womb. I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And he's saying this to Jeremiah. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. 
patience. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? It means anything and everything we can comprehend is so minimal in comparison to who he is and his understanding of everything, both in the past, in the present, and eternity. And some of you are going, whoa, I can't comprehend that. You're exactly right. And that's how God intended it. So that our confidence in trials depends on us knowing who is in control, not on what I know in and of myself. When I can tell myself that God is sovereign, it is me acknowledging that even though I don't know where this, is, where this train is going, I know the one who does. I know the one who does. God is sovereign. Secondly, second thing I need to tell myself when I feel I'm losing control, God's plan will always prevail. Job says, not only I know that you can do all things, God's sovereignty, he says, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God's that he set forth before the beginning of time can be thwarted. Nothing you do can change the purposes and the plan that God has already established. So how do I do this? Because it's easy for me to say, remember these two things. Remember, you know, tell yourself God is sovereign. Tell yourself God's plan will always prevail. But practically, how do I do this? Flip back with me one more time to chapter 37. This is when Elihu... Job's fourth friend, the only friend who wasn't rebuked by God for giving bad advice. In verse 14, he says something profound. He says, hear this, Job. Listen up. Stop. And consider the wondrous works of God. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. For some of you today, that's what you need to hear right now. Because your life is so chaotic and so busy and you're so overwhelmed that you haven't taken time to stop and consider all that God has already done And what he's promised to do in the future. Some of you might be going, well, what has God done? Really, what has he done? I just want to read this for you from verse 24 in, in chapter 36. When he says, remember, listen to this. 
Remember to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the drops of water, they distill his mist and rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. It's crashing, declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it, his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightning when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man, that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for his land. Or for love, he causes it to happen. Hear this, stop, and consider the wondrous works of God. Have you taken time today to stop and consider all that God has done? Not what you wish he would have done, but what he has already done. Have we stopped to consider God's faithfulness to provide over the history of even this church family? Or are we distracted? Are we too stuck with what we don't see right now? Have we stopped to consider what God has done in the lives of people? Or are we stuck wishing we could see what isn't? Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. And secondly, along with it, how do I do this? How do I... Remind myself that God is sovereign and God's plan will always prevail. Recognize that God is God and I am not. Recognize that no matter how much I want to be in control, no matter how much I want to determine the course that I'm taking today, no matter what is taking place, and I'm seeing myself going this way, and I feel like I'm going the opposite. To be able to recognize and say, I am not God. I cannot see how this trial in my life, how this situation in my life is going to lead to any kind of glorification for Him. And that's okay. 
because I know the one who does. Maybe some of you here today are completely overwhelmed by the storms you've been facing. You feel like you've been through the ringer and you don't know where to turn or who to look to. Apart from God, we always look back to ourselves. We look at our job, we look at our friends, we look at our colleagues, the people surrounding us. We look for direction. And yet in the midst of all of that, God is screaming, have faith in who I am. Stop. Consider what I've already done. Consider what I've already done, not only in your life, but in the people around you. Consider what I've already done in this community across the world. Consider what I've done before all of creation. And then turn to me. Because I know. And it's okay that you don't. I've got this. I've got this. Some of you may not know what that's like have a heavenly father who is continually speaking to you saying, don't worry about this. I've got it. And Job's friend Elihu, he, he articulates this so well. He says, man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, to declare to man what is right for him. And he's merciful to him and says, Deliver him from going into the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy. He restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned, perverted what was right. It was not repaid me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times a man. To bring back his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. And Jesus embodied that. Jesus came that you might have life and life abundantly. And so if you're here today and you're going, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't have control. That's okay. Because you have a Savior who made a way so you don't have to be in control. And it says, believe in the name of Jesus. Believe in what Jesus has done for you. Recognize that you can't control this. That you are not righteous. That you need someone else. You need something else. 
And the truth of God's word tells us that what you need is a Savior. And you might be going, what do I need to do? How do, how do, I, how do I direct a path? How do I pave a path to get there? Jesus already did. To where he says, come to me. Come to me. Turn to me. Believe that I did this for you, that I died for you, that I rose again to show that I conquered death for you. You believe in that. Commit your life to follow Jesus. And then, consistently, day after day, I can look and go, I don't have to be in control. I don't have to know all the answers because I know the one who does. And if that's you today, I invite you to do that. There's no perfect way to do that. There's no specific way to do that. You commit your life to Jesus and you say, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn the control of my life over to someone who actually knows. Are you ready for that? And some of you here today have been struggling with that day after day. You've struggled to come back to a place of acknowledging that God is God and I am not. And you just need to turn. Make a shift. Turn in direction. Say, okay, God, I've tried to run this myself for too long. I'm ready. I'm ready. So if that's you today, I'd encourage you to talk with me. Find someone close to you. Pray with them. Be vocal about that. That's what we're here for. A family of people who's ready to grow, to be more like Jesus. Acknowledging that we don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does. Amen? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we know and recognize that you are God. That you are the God of the, of the world, of creation, that you've done mighty things. And so today, we stand before you acknowledging that we need your help. Lord, bring us to a place where we can see clearly your plan and your purposes, even if it doesn't make sense to us right now, that we would acknowledge who you are and turn to follow you. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name.